Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another exciting episode deep in the forests of SG Explained. <laughs> this is the part where Roby has to add some like jungle forest sounds. Sound effects are not easy to find, you know, Al. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Make the cricket sound. Creak, creak. <laughs> I, I prepared a really fun episode for us today. Uh, something that I've been wanting to go to after reading a whole bunch of it in the news. Today, we're actually taking a journey down to Mandai Zoo virtually, virtually. Uh, but if you guys want to listen to it while you're at Mandai Zoo, I think it's going to be a pretty good companion piece. I'm not just talking about the Singapore Zoo in general, but we're also going to be talking about Mandai. I mean, a place where I think most of us don't visit on the regular. When's the last time you guys went to Mandai? I drive past Mandai now every day because of my reservists. So <laughs> very near. I don't mean to be like dark about it, but I think the time I remember going to Mandai is to cremate like a family member. Oof. Oh, oh. yeah. Big oof. Uh, big oof there. <laughs> All right. Let's get back into it. I thought we were going to say it was dark. It was like, oh, I only go to night safari. You know, like that. <laughs> that would have been... Shout out to our preparing for death episode. Yeah. I'll <laughs> go check it out. At this point in time, right, it's just a meme that we go through every week where we try to see if one of us can plug in another episode. Honestly, <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. But yeah, so we're going to talk about the Mandai Zoo and... Uh, I'm going to just break it up into a few parts. We're going to talk about, you know, of course, in SG Explained fashion, the foundations of the zoo. We're going to also talk about some of the fun things that happen here, like wildlife conservation efforts. There are some incidents and stories which Ooh. I thought we can't just gloss over as well. Oh, everyone loves a little scandal uh, now and then. A scandal in the zoo? Well, I mean, nothing of the of the naughty nature. It's just like, you know, just wild animal stuff. We'll talk about what you can go and uh, see in the zoo nowadays as a whole revamp. I, I guess some of you guys haven't been to the zoo in like, 20 over years since, you know, primary school excursion or something. La. Actually, now that you mentioned it, right, I just went to the night safari like on New Year's Eve because we wanted to use our vouchers. It was like a family night out at the night safari. It was actually really nice. And lastly, we'll touch on the future of the zoo. So that's our itinerary for today. We'll be your tour guides all the way to Mandai Zoo. So let's jump right into it. Rovik, why don't you take us through the early years of the Singapore Zoo. Going back, way back in the past, the first zoo in Singapore was first established within the grounds of the Singapore Botanic Gardens in 1875 at the suggestion of then Governor Sir Henry Ott, who has an odd name. <laughs> Again, Elliot, I don't know if you remember our Botanic Gardens episode when we were Shout out to the Botanic Gardens episode. <laughs> check out to the Botanic Gardens. Go check it out. Go check it out. I think I mentioned the zoo thing there. But the zoo was closed uh, in the Botanic Gardens. It was closed in 1905 due to a shortage of funds for its upkeep as well as unfortunately high animal mortality oh, no. rates. Between the 1920s and 1960s, several zoos by private individuals were established, and these include the Pungal Zoo, started by William Lawrence Soma Basapa in 1928, and the Singapore Miniature Zoo in Pasir Panjang, founded by Tong Seng Moon in 1957. And actually, fun fact here, if you go to other parts of the world, zoos are actually not necessarily public parks or public attractions. They actually are normally privately owned by some rich collector who who wanted his own animal collection. And so this is actually not that uncommon, especially given the time. As we know now, it's more humane for zoos to be publicly owned just because then you have more accountability and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, in 1968, Ong Sui Lao, then chairman of the Public Utilities Board, decided to open up more of the large protected water catchment areas on the island for public use. 
Ong mooted the idea of a zoo as he felt that there were insufficient venues for family outings at the time. Mm. He also observed that even domesticated animals had become a novelty for some Singaporeans. A steering committee led by Ong was formed in the same year to study the idea of establishing a zoo to meet the recreational, social, and educational needs of Singaporeans. I love the fact that they needed a steering committee for this. Yeah, for sure. Typical Singaporean fashion. In late 1969, the government authorized the formation of a public limited company, Singapore Zoological Gardens, to establish and operate a zoo. Ong was appointed a chairman of the company, naturally, because it was his idea. And the government also contributed 9 million Singapore dollars towards the zoo's development costs and set aside 260 acres, which is around 1.05 square kilometers of land for a project. In November 1970, Linda Elvis, who was then the director of the Dehiwala Zoo in Sri Lanka, was appointed as a consultant on a one-year term to plan, design, and develop the Singapore Zoo project. Ong was impressed by De Elvis when the two had met earlier at the Dehiwala Zoo. A.G. Alfonso, then director of the Singapore Botanic Gardens, was also engaged as a landscape advisor for the zoo project. Yeah, so that's that's really the, the foundations of the zoo as we know it. I like how they, they brought in consultants from outside. I don't know if you guys have been to Sri Lanka. Right now, as we're recording this episode, Sri Lanka is in a bit of a poker turmoil. Yeah. I went there... I want to say three years ago, and they really know how to build natural parks. Uh, they are very respectful, at least in the places I went to, of the animals. So you've been to their zoo, Rovate? I haven't been to this zoo. I went to an elephant reserve in Sri Lanka. Right. And I could definitely see how, how much they cared about you know, really protecting the space and keeping it as natural as possible. That's nice. And I guess that explains the open zoo concept that we had right at the beginning. On to opening the gates to the public. The Singapore Zoo was formally opened in 1973 with a modest collection of about 300 animals from some 70s species. Honestly, I would not have thought that's modest given the time that we lived in, 1973, and I can't even take care of a pet, but <laughs> 300 animals is a modest collection. Now, we were situated on the promontory of the Salita Reservoir, and the zoo adopted an open concept in which the animals were housed in open enclosures, landscaped to resemble their natural habitats, which is something we still see right now, actually, when you uh, visit the Singapore Zoo. Now, it was officially opened by then-Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Defence Go King Sui on 27th June, 1973. It was situated on 70 acres of land extending into the Salita Reservoir and the zoo adopted some of the most advanced zoo designs of the 1970s. An example of this would be, you know, instead of putting the animals in cages, they used barriers instead such as moats and walls to contain the animals instead. Now, prior to the COVID pandemic, the zoo received over 2 million visitors each year and is now home to over 2,800 animals, representing more than 300 species across more than 50 enclosures. And while the emphasis was on animals from the Southeast Asian region, there were also animals that were sourced from other parts of the world. And our Singapore Zoo has got a number of successes in the breeding of critically endangered species and has over time established itself as one of the best rainforest zoos in the world. I'm going to cut you short right here because it's time for a pop quiz! Alright, so you mentioned that there a number of critically endangered species that we've, you know, kind of like bred and saved, so to speak. So my question to you guys is, what percent, this is a very easy question, I guess. It's a percentage question. So, you know, the answers, there are only a hundred answers to this. What percentage of animal species 
within the Singapore Zoo are threatened or endangered? 60%. You went, six, you went 60%. Oh, I was going to say 65, but I feel like... Six zero. Uh, wow. Here's why. The primary purpose of a zoo, I think, especially today, is not so much just having a, a place for families to visit, but really about conservation, conservation yeah. education, and all the sorts of stuff. So I think if a zoo was to play a role, it would be to actually protect endangered or threatened animals. I agree. And so, yeah, I would put it at 60. And also, I kind of remember thinking back to our school excursions to the zoo, and even my most recent one to the night safari, like you hear a lot of talk about conservation and how like a huge percentage of the animals that we have in Singapore now are um, to protect them from further endangerment. So I think 65 is like a safe number. I was going to say 70, but maybe it's a bit much. You guys think we're we're holding these endangered species hostage, is <laughs> no. it? Like it's a, <laughs> okay, well, the answer, you guys are both wrong, but Rovik's closer. Uh, the actual answer is that only 26% of the animals are, are threatened. So we try not to keep every endangered species in our enclosures. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know what we clearly got are. the wrong message here. <laughs> yeah, we obviously built a narrative in our heads. <laughs> I think that's a good thing because it goes to show that that's what you think of the Singapore Zoo as a place where we're really trying to house these threatened species and yes. find ways for them to propagate, right? And Rovik and I were so convinced. We were so convinced. <laughs> it's it's actually still a pretty high number. 26% globally is still a pretty high number for a zoo to not just take care, but have research efforts into trying to uh, help these species maintain their bloodline uh, and, you know, carry off their offspring. Well, I'll share a little bit more about the wildlife and conservation research that's done here in Singapore. So, you know, as Mian kind of mentioned, the Singapore Zoo has achieved, you know, numerous breakthroughs in its captive breeding programs in the last 40 years. In fact, the birth of its first baby orang-utan took place on 20th January 1975. A rare event for orang-utans in captivity at the time, you know, just so, so having them give birth while, you know, in the enclosures is actually a really big deal. Yeah. The first known Eland birth in Southeast Asia also occurred in that same year. In 1990, we fast forward to December, uh, the zoo witnessed the birth of Inuka, the first polar bear cub born yes, in the tropics. Inuka. Yeah, I got such a cool name too. Uh, naming my second born Inuka. What's your first born going to be named? Uh, I can't tell you guys uh, because, you know, I haven't decided it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to give a good one for the first one. The second one, you can anyhow give names ready, honestly. We'll move forward to November 2009 where the first Komodo dragon was successfully hatched in the zoo after numerous unsuccessful attempts uh, to breed the endangered reptile. Uh, the hatchling was the first in Asia outside of the reptile's Aww. natural habitat, which is uh, Indonesia, for you guys who don't know. And in addition, the zoo has also been successful in breeding a number of critically endangered species, including the river terrapin, the Sumatran orang-utan, and the cotton-top tamarind. So it's just some of the species that, you know, we've had success as a nation in uh, bringing some life back into their bloodline. Yeah. I mean, these are all Singaporeans then, right? I mean, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Citizenship <laughs> by birth, yes. Exactly. <laughs> in 2012, the zoo bred more than 140 animals. So this is not like, what, a decade ago? Many of which are endangered or threatened species. Over the years, the zoo has established itself as a leading zoological facility for captive management, 
and breeding of endangered Asian primates in particular. We want to hear another milestone. So another significant milestone achieved by the zoo was the opening of a 3.6 million Singapore dollar wildlife healthcare and research center. Uh, this was opened in March 2006. And really cool, but the center has a viewing gallery for visitors to observe <gasps> the animal surgery and treatments, as well as interactive displays to educate visitors on the work of zoo vet. I didn't know that. I wish we had that on school excursions. 2006, I was too old to go to these uh, excursions already, honestly. I guess while I was hearing this, I was just thinking to myself, how weird would it be if I was a zoo captive animal and people kept watching me? Yeah, like, it'd be quite while crazy. Surgery, while, I, while I was, quote unquote, breeding. That's so weird. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I think like we think that way because as human beings, we always attach like emotional meaning to these things. Like we don't, we're, I think we're the only species on earth that procreates with emotion. Like every other creature on earth, like just knows that they are born to do this. They are born to continue their offspring. So maybe to them it's like, yes, you know. As a man, I, I sometimes don't procreate with emotion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the government does the same to us, right? It wants to procreate. <laughs> so they give all these baby bonuses. Housing grants. Yeah, except we don't have a viewing gallery. La, so Oof, that's fine. I mean, that can be arranged, but... No, no thanks. No thanks. No thanks. <laughs> just, just really cool to know that, you know, Singapore's efforts actually... not It's not just a zoo for entertainment purposes. There's such an educational and healthcare slant to it for animal wildlife. That's that's insane. I didn't know that. Honestly, I just went there because I heard you can collect Lego at the zoo nowadays if you're a friend of the zoo. Okay. All right. Speaking of interesting stuff at the zoo, let's talk about <laughs> some of the incidents that have happened at the zoo. There have been a number, some a bit more frightening than others. <laughs> On 7 March 1973... Actually, even before it had arrived at the zoo, an animal had escaped from its, uh, I, I imagine, its cage. Can you guess what animal this is, guys? I mean, I'm guessing it's something that can maul you alive. Well, yes, I, I think that was probably one of the biggest, uh, scariest things that could have happened at that point, especially when people hadn't even imagined a zoo being publicly accessible, right? This is in the <laughs> early days. Uh, and, and now you hear that the Black Panther... Not the Marvel character, this is an actual Black <laughs> Panther, escape from the zoo. And you can just imagine all these Singaporean aunties, right, being like, yeah, I told you why the zoo need to come here to Singapore. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Come from the Black Panther out on the loose. <laughs> so this was followed up very quickly, actually, because in the next year, in early 1974, a hippopotamus named Congo escaped from the zoo as well and spent 47 days in the Salita Reservoir. Cute, so cute. Uh, you're taking a sabbatical. <laughs> I guess people don't realize hippopotamuses are very dangerous animals. Yes, they are vicious. They Their are vicious, strength dude. Is, is awful. If they slap on you, you're, you're, you're gone, bro. This, I guess, goes back to sort of the compromise that was made between, you know, making it a bit more naturalistic having sort of natural moats and walls instead of cages. It, these things tend to happen, but the zoo has a protocol to go and find and, and retrieve these animals. I mean, there have been other escapes also in 1974, including an eland and a tiger. And I think basically there was a long break after these escapes, which probably meant that the zoo actually did something about the enclosures at this point. But in November 2008, unfortunately, there was a very horrific accident. Two Bengal white tigers mauled a cleaner 
32-year-old Norden Montong to death after he jumped into a moat surrounding the enclosure and taunting them. I think this was like one of the biggest news pieces that came. Yeah, like everyone was talking about it. And I think everyone was on the debate of like, was it the tiger's fault? Was it his fault? Uh, There is another story, which is of a 19-year-old teenager who allegedly jumped into an enclosure at the Singapore Zoo. And this was quite recent, actually and posted a TikTok video of a backflip there. He was charged with criminal trespass. This guy's name is Ralph Wee. He faced one count of criminal trespass as well as three unrelated charges of mischief and vandalism. He actually went into the zoo's rhinoceros enclosure at around 2.40 p.m. to perform this stunt. The video, which has since been removed from his TikTok account, was circulated online. Wildlife Reserve Singapore, which manages the zoo, filed a police report calling it a reckless and mindless act. The video showed him doing a backflip before leaping out of the enclosure over a fence. And two white rhinos were seen in the background, Jay chilling while he performed the stunt. Jay chilling. <laughs> Jay chilling. <laughs> they did not write that in the report, my dude. They did not write that in the report. The videos definitely showed that. I mean, this is this is a post-Harambe era where people feel the need to like, you know, create hype by jumping into explosions and things. It's ridiculous. To Ralph's credit, sick backflip, but damn, that is super dangerous. Rhinoceros, uh, while, you know, as Jay chilling as these guys are. It's terrifying and dangerous, man. It's very terrifying. It's very dangerous. And more so to upload it on social media to try to get traction. Do you not think that someone in the zoo would not view the video and be like, yo, my man, that's trespassing. I, actually, I'm surprised, Elliot, uh, some of the stories that, that I think should have also joined this list were actually some of the unfortunate deaths of animals that happened no. in this so Oh there yeah, are, for sure. There are two iconic animals, right? One we already talked about, Inuka, which was the polar bear that was born in Singapore or the first tropical polar bear. Inuka unfortunately passed away in 2018, I think. You know, he was put down because his body was ailing, but he was he was a mascot of the zoo. And I remember a lot of people actually grew up with Inuka. Yeah. Right? We, we would go back and we would always look for, for him because he was such an iconic person. The other one is actually, and we can never forget, Aming, which was a Sumatran orangutan that also was a tourism icon, not just of the zoo, but actually of the whole Singapore. Yeah. And Aming was actually smuggled from Indonesia, kept illegally as a domestic pet before being recovered and then being given a home at the zoo. She passed away also not too long ago, in around 2008, because of old age. As a tribute to her, what they've said is that the next orangutan born at the Singapore Zoo will be named Aming Jr. It's not just a place, right? These animals have come to become resident. Their personalities, their personalities. Their stars are, their icons. Well, on that note, we're going to just take a short break real quick. And when we come back, we'll share with you a little bit more about what you can expect at the Singapore Zoo and what you can expect from Mandai in the future. Stay tuned. It's crazy to think that we're in season five of the SG Explained podcast and you, the listener, have been a great part of the experience. If you like what we've been doing over the last few seasons and you want to support some independent podcasters, here are three ways that you can do so. The first is to subscribe and that's by just clicking the subscribe button or follow button on any of the platforms you're listening to us on. The second is to share. Share our content, our episodes with people that you think would enjoy learning about the Singapore identity and challenging some of the preconceived notions that they may have. 
And finally, directly support us by clicking on the anchor link in the description area where you can make a small contribution that helps us support some of the costs of producing these great podcasts. Thank you again for being part of the SJ Plane family and we look forward to making many more great episodes for you. Alright, and we're back. So if you guys want to Google the Singapore Zoological Map, like there is, you know, a lot of resource materials, but I thought it'd be fun to share with my buddies over here some of the interesting naming conventions. We're all about naming conventions today. <laughs> some of the interesting naming conventions we've given to attractions at the Singapore Zoo itself. Let's just go through the list, guys, and we can talk about which ones we find to be yes. interesting at the very least. And some of the species that you actually find. Uh, in parts of the zoo. So one of the more popular ones, and most people will walk this in the Singapore Zoo, is the Treetops Trail, right? So this is a boardwalk across a river that's supposed to replicate the different layers of the rainforest. So there's this very nice walk and talk, you know, sort of like a foot journey across. Uh, you can experience nature in itself. Uh, but interestingly, there are these wild crab-eating macaques uh, native to Singapore that roam freely around the treetops trail. That's right. Uh, they're called macaques and they are monkeys. They're monkeys. It just so that you guys And know. they're spelt M-A-C-A-Q-U-E-S for anyone yes. who's interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in case my pronunciation is bad, right? These wild crab eating macaques actually roam around and surprisingly enough, there are stories you can find on blogs online where people have, you know, their bags being trying to be grabbed off by these monkeys. It's, it's quite funny, lah, but they're not vicious. They're not vicious. They're just playful. So hence, they're allowed to kind of like roam free. Uh, pretty interesting. I think you can Google some of these pictures as well. The Treetops Trail is quite a walk as well. So you get to experience a lot of like open scenery. Uh, the second place, which I think is cool. Uh, by the way, as we go through these names, just, just take note that Someone for the creative department decided these names, not me. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I would, I dare would not do this. Okay, uh, the tiger trek is the next one, and it's so cute. They have a sibling duo of white tigers named Pasha and Kisa, who are kind of like in that area. Uh, they arrived in 2015 only from the Maharani Zoo in Indonesia. As of 2021, just last year, there is a male Malayan tiger named Sulong who rotates around the habitat with Pasha and Kisa. So one big happy family. Well, we, we're assuming they're happy. I don't know. <laughs> we could, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see who's the cynic in our group, right? When it comes to the animals, you know, like he might not be happy. <laughs> like my dude over there is not chilling. And then like for the two of us, it's like, oh, and for me, it's like, you know, one guy, two girls, what can go wrong? It's a very strange way of looking at this. Not to be remiss, also is the Orang Utan Island. Very self-explanatory islands with Orang Utans, okay? Like you just go there and watch, uh, watch them uh, swing around. And there's another area that I thought it would highlight called Wild Africa. Now, this area houses the zoo's African savanna animals. And this includes the white rhinos, zebras, lions, giraffes, so anything you would see in a safari, I suppose, right? That's one of the main ideas here. Uh, and after exiting the indoor lion viewing area, we can pretty much go up close, uh, is this place called Cat Country. Sounds very cute, right? But it's not like, it's not like those cat cafes. In, instead, what it has is like a large indoor cage of leopards. There's a den allowing visitors to see naked mole rats as they tunnel through a, new, a newly constructed exhibit 
for Fossus. The next place that I thought, you know, and it's quite near Wild Africa, is this place called Reptopia. When, no, any guesses for what's in Reptopia? Yes, replicants. No, no. It's actually a place for reptiles. It's a place for reptiles, guys. Reptopia was actually a renovation of the 35-year-old snake house that used to be in the Singapore Zoo. And there is a behind-the-scenes facility which is also visible to guests, allowing them to view the hatchery. So, you know, as with reptiles, they all hatch from uh, these giant eggs. You can watch them slowly. The, the eggs are slowly being incubated and being ready to hatch. So you can kind of, if you're lucky, you can watch them uh, crack out of the shell. In fact, in January 2022, which is just like, what, six months before this, there were 13 Roti Island snake-necked turtles that were successfully repatriated to a breeding facility in Kupang, Indonesia. So Aww. this is one of those instances of us doing conservation efforts and breeding efforts and then, you know, sending them back into the world for other people to, That's to so enjoy nice. as well. And of course, what is close to Reptopia? No points of guessing what, what happens here by the tortoise shelter. That, that's right. I, I'm not even trying to overemphasize it. It's the shell, <laughs> shell hyphen T-E-R shelter. So yes, hardbacks. <laughs> Whoever did these naming conventions deserve a raise. <laughs> no, I'm just disappointed that Tiger Track wasn't sponsored by Tiger Beer. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Or Tiger Bomb. Shout out to our Tiger Beer episode. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Slip and slide, aerobic. All right, so from the tortoise shelter, it's a quick walk to a place called the Fragile Forest. This fragile forest, though, is anything but fragile, okay? It's a 20,000 cubic meter biodome that houses a wide variety of tropical birds, mammals, reptiles, fish, and invertebrates. And before entering the biodome, there are a few tanks housing some reptiles, amphibians, and invertebrates as well. This is what I don't go when I visit the zoo, the butterfly house, because ugh, I just don't like butterflies landing on me. It just gives me the hibbie-jibbies. But yes, there's a butterfly house in there and the mango tank that are also part of the fragile forest. So if you're into looking at, you know, creepy crawly things, things with wings. Mian is misrepresenting this place so much. <laughs> I'm sure it's beautiful. It's I'm sure so it's beautiful. Cool. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to upsell this place, but... Oh, I, I like the vibe, lah. Moving forward, we're going to go on down to the Great Rift Valley of Ethiopia. When you first walk in, you'll actually be walking through a console and Amharic village with several Waga sculptures dotted around. And you're going to be seeing a large troop of Hamadria's baboons mixed with a herd of Nubia Ibexes in an enclosure recreating the rugged steppes of Ethiopia. So I'm guessing this uh, Great Rift Valley of Ethiopia is supposed to transport you to the place itself by showcasing the creatures that, you know, run freely there. Of course, there are other small animals that you can check out as well and they're housed around in the huts in the Great Rift Valley. So if that's something that's up your alley, hey, check out the valley. <laughs> My main question is, why is this not part of Wild Africa? Why is it separate, right? Why is it separate is a big question. Ethiopia is part of Wild Africa. I think they do try to separate some species from interacting in open enclosures with each other. That's my suspicion, although we don't have anyone from the zoo to confirm. So if you're a zoo person, let us know why apparently Ethiopia is not part of Africa for whatever reason. All right, last but not least, it's Australasia. And this zone features a walkthrough habitat with kangaroos, wallabies, as well as an indoor gallery for Goodfellow's tree kangaroos. And finally, a cassowary habitat. I, I was hoping that you would say this entire thing with an Australian accent, but... I feel like I would butcher it and I actually have Australian friends. That's not how it sounds, mate. <laughs> 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 
And uh, of course, you have to check out the Primate Kingdom, Elephants of Asia. That's actually one of my favorite spots because if you catch them at the right time, uh, I believe their caretakers schedule like shower viewing sessions. Although now that I say it, it sounds very bad. Now that we've talked about what you can do at the zoo, let's talk a bit about what's the future of the zoo and the whole uh, Mandai area, actually. So, you know, we've kind of just been focusing on the Singapore Zoo itself or the Zoological Gardens, as it used to be known. But we also know, at least for those of us who have been in Singapore, that there are two other parks next to it, right? There's the Night Safari and there is the River Safari. And actually, for those who like animals, you'll also know that there is the Bird Park in Jurong, right? So actually, what's going to happen is that Wildlife Reserve Singapore will be replaced by the Mandai Wildlife Group, which will be the new corporate entity overseeing both zoological park operations and actually the expansion of the Mandai Precinct. And there'll be five parks that will come under this reserve. So we'll have the Singapore Zoo, the Night Safari, River Wonders, which I guess is a rebrand of River Safari, Bird Paradise, which is basically, I I imagine, going to be the new bird park as well as the upcoming Rainforest Wild. Ooh. And responding to questions from the media, Group CEO Mike Barclay said that the precinct is expected to be completed actually pretty soon, in 2024. But I, I always get very scared or intimidated going to... Because it's like there's so many exhibits and you need to time the, the show and all this oh stuff. Oh my God, are you the Kanchong visitor? Like you have to catch everything at, at its right time. I must catch some of the things at the right time. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> so one of the first milestones will be the new bird paradise, which is to open in 2023. Mr. Barclay said that the group is bringing together the final construction work despite delays due to COVID-19. The group will be ramping up its conservation, animal care, and sustainability efforts with its conservation arm, Mandai Nature, and Mandai Global, which will drive expansion into new business areas in areas like ecotourism, edutainment, and green tech. So they're really taking themselves seriously as a business entity. In all frankness, I think the zoo has always had a question of relevance, especially with global travel happening and a lot more people just wanting to go directly to the country to see the animals, right? Why would you want to go to a zoo where everything's kind of artificial. So I think this is sort of its effort to retain relevance. Existing parks are going to be refreshed. There's going to be a new amphitheater at the Night Safari and a revamped Kids World at the Singapore Zoo. Kids World will have a world-leading, and I'm very curious what this means, world-leading petting zoo. And the zoo will expand on the use of digital and virtual content for new digital activities that blend both physical and digital experiences. There's also going to be an upcoming program called Ranger Buddies, which will encourage kids to take on missions that they can do at home, in their community, or at the zoo, said Mr. Barclay, adding that it aimed to reinforce essential life skills. It's very much trying to be relevant again. You know, yeah. I think you brought a great point, Rovic. It's like, how can it go into communities? How's it, how can it be a part of the like educational journey of a child as yeah. well? And not making it feel like, oh, this is just some rich man's park where they keep a bunch of like animals. Because that's a very common theme, right? You watch Madagascar, that's exactly <laughs> how it's like. I, I really applaud these kind of efforts. You know, M- Mr. Barkley also announced like its commitment for Mandai as a whole to actually be carbon neutral by 2024. I think that's a very hot buzzword in the past five years to be carbon neutral and through a comprehensive sustainability strategy, right, that they're trying to employ for that area. The group on the whole has pledged to get 100%. Uh, that's a very big number, 100%. Anytime someone says 100%, you know, like say a group member at 
a school project says, yeah, I'll give you my 100%, right? They only mean 70 but <laughs> so, you call me the cynic uh, here, Elliot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, that's all my my project mates ever is like, yes, let's give it our all. It's like you mean you're gonna give me fifty percent of your time, okay, dude? So they're pledging hundred percent of its of their energy to come from renewable resources by twenty thirty. Noting that electricity use uh, accounts for more than like half of its carbon emissions profile today. As part of this push, it will implement on-site solar panels at all available and permissible rooftops across new and existing parks. Of course, like in phases, but you know, that their ultimate goal is that every everywhere that you can get solar power, you're going to have solar power. If the zoo had to do one thing was that it was a, it's like a return to yeah. nature or like to care about nature, like right? That. It's not just about animals, but the habitat that they're in. So this gels in a very nice larger narrative of where does the zoo stand in terms of being green yeah. uh, for the future. All in all, I think Mandai has a really bright future here. There's a place that I don't go often enough, but it looks like it could be an anchor for a green conversation to happen uh, for decades to come. And that's only good news for future generations, right? Thanks for putting this together, Al, because then you're a reminder of the efforts that our government uh, is putting in you know into what we already have to make it even better and you just feel proud to be part of like a nation who cares about these things who cares about the future in more ways than one easy conversations to have but also very heartening ones well with that being said thanks everyone for tuning into this week's episode of sg explained we hope you had a great you know i'm doing the tony the tiger uh song uh, we hope you had a great time at the zoo with us today and we'll see you in the next episode bye, bye.